The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So as a, <clears throat> a suggested theme for the week, above and beyond, the, the kind of basic tools that help to cultivate the capacity for mindfulness in daily life. That's what we've been talking about so far, is just tools that help us just get going. <laughs> and we are curious, interested about where our suffering is. And so the theme that I'd like to suggest or explore this week is observing, getting familiar with the five hindrances. Now, I would encourage actually not necessarily doing all five. <laughs> um, the five hindrances are ill will, sense desire, sloth and torpor in the terrain of dullness, sleepiness, heaviness, thickness of mind, um, then the fourth one, restlessness and anxiety, uh, kind of the, the spinning of mind. Um, and then the, the, the fifth one is doubt. So most of our difficult states of mind have some flavor of these in there. For instance, you know, frustration. There could be different, different um, qualities of the hindrances arising in frustration. You know, it might be that the frustration is about feeling ill will about not getting something that you want. And so the, the frustration may have that tone of ill will in there. Ill will and maybe some restlessness. Um, or it might have desire. That frustration might be more oriented to, I want that thing. And, and so the flavor of the frustration may have more of the feeling of sense desire to it. And so we're looking at some, a kind of a simpler level, not just all of our emotions, but, but just kind of a simpler level of, of um, reactive reactivity in our minds. And I'd say that for most of us, these hindrances are regular visitors. We're, we're pretty... We're pretty driven by these habitually. It's not, it's not, you know, we would, we, if we could, we, we would choose to not have them, but there's uh, so much conditioning in our cultures, in our world, in our families, in our schooling, everything that we've learned kind of conditions these habits and patterns of our mind. And so it's very natural that we respond in this way, and very much, too, almost as a human experience, particularly around ill will and sense desire, um, it relates very much in a human fashion to pleasant and unpleasant experiences I was talking about earlier, that when something is pleasant, we tend to like it and we want it. And so there's this movement of sense desire towards something pleasant. If something's unpleasant, we tend to not like it, want to get rid of it, a, a feeling of, of ill will towards that unpleasant experience. And so this is very natural. It's, you are seeing, when you watch this kind of pattern, you are seeing human nature. 
It's not just in your own mind that this happens. And I think, too, this is a, this is a, a helpful thing to, to recognize, that as we start to see in our own experience, oh, this unpleasant thing happens, and I want to get rid of it, or I get angry about it. And we see that it's just almost like levers being pressed, you know? It's like just a very habitual unfolding. And we see that this is not something I'm necessarily choosing to do, but something that's been conditioned. This mind has been conditioned in that direction towards aversion to something unpleasant, towards ill will to something unpleasant. As we see that in our own minds, how little control we have in our own minds about that shift from unpleasant to not liking to wanting to get rid of to hating to or from pleasant to liking to wanting. As we see, it's not so much something that we can just say, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to hate. Then we begin to recognize kind of almost with a heartbreaking uh, poignancy that this is the human condition. That this is not just happening here, but it's happening multiplied, multiplied by nearly 8 billion. No wonder there's so much suffering in the world. As we start to see in our own minds the way there's not so much control and, and that habitual, quick, very quick triggering to react to something. As we see that in our own hearts, how little control there is, we can begin to have compassion for ourselves about that and also compassion for others when we see it happening in others. And so this, I think, is a medicine for our time, for, for all time, actually. It's, it's a medicine for us to begin to recognize this is the human condition and to begin to connect with it as a human experience opens us to this side of compassion for our own humanity and the humanity of others. So these hindrances are manifestations of very old and very deep conditioning. Some of it is human conditioning. Some of it is cultural conditioning. Some of it is familial conditioning. And we each have our own ways of responding to the world. Um, I'd say probably each of, each of you has one or two of these hindrances, and I'll rename them, ill will, sense desire, sloth and torpor, restlessness and anxiety, or doubt. Each of you probably has one or two of those that are more frequent visitors than others. It's kind of like your, the conditioning of the, the being that you're living in has gotten a big dose of conditioning towards ill will or a big dose of conditioning towards anxiety. And so, again, this is not something to take personally, but just to recognize, oh, this has been conditioned. And yet it is useful to start being curious about it, to, to begin to bring mindfulness to it, because we are not trapped in this conditioning. This is some of the good news of what the Buddha had to teach, that... Essentially, we are trapped in the conditioning as long as we don't really clearly see it. As long as we're buying into the beliefs, the views of that conditioning, buying into the beliefs and views of ill will and sense desire, it will perpetuate itself. But as soon as we turn 
with a new perspective, the, mindful, the perspective of mindfulness and curiosity of what is the human experience of this hindrance, then it's no longer what we would call a hindrance. I mean, the word hindrance makes it sound like something that we have to get rid of because it's, it's hindering, it's in the way. And yet it's only a hindrance when it's not seen. It's only functioning as a hindrance when we're buying into it and believing the story of it and following through on it. If we are able to notice, oh, this is the human experience of ill will. It's no longer functioning as the hindrance of ill will. Instead, it's actually functioning as an experience in the present moment that can lead us to awakening, that can lead us to understanding, that can lead us to transform how we relate to that situation. And so mindfulness is really the, the medicine for our, our hindrances. And uh, I'm, I'm going to give you a handout that describes all the hindrances in a little more detail. I'm not going to go do a talk today about the hindrances. Actually, I'm going to do that tomorrow night, on Monday night. I'm going to talk in more detail about the hindrances um, and how to work with each one individually in meditation and in daily life. Um, but today I'm just going to encourage a couple of simple things. And these are tools that the Buddha pointed to. Um, First, I'll say again, you know, just to point to the, the value of mindfulness around these hindrances. Um, as we start to uh, notice the hindrances, first, the first thing that we recognize, I, so I said that when we're noticing them with mindfulness, they're no longer functioning as hindrances, they're functioning as kind of, it's like compost. It's like the, the garbage in the compost heap that's becoming soil through the heat, through the, 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 the process, the natural process of, of composting. The garbage turns into something really useful. And it's very similar when we bring mindfulness to our hindrances. It's like we've, um, we're creating the conditions for those hindrances to become something useful. And so... Uh, we, get, we can start to get interested in them. And one of the things that we, um, we recognize or we can begin to do with this mindfulness is to begin to respond around these hindrances instead of automatically reacting. It's like the mindfulness of these difficult states gives a little space to not automatically be jumping on the reactivity. We, we, we have a little bit of choice if we're, if we're able to be mindful, we may have a little bit of choice about, oh, maybe I can just observe this right now. Maybe this is not the time to act. Or maybe we have to act, but at least we can be aware that this, this force is, is operating. And maybe we can, we can mediate that force with a little bit of compassion or kindness. So... The Buddha offered some, some practices for working with the hindrances, and I'm just going to offer three. This is, these are from the Satipatthana Sutta. They're very simple, and what I want to encourage in daily life practice in particular is really simple, because the simpler it is, the easier it is to connect with. And so in the Satipatthana Sutta, around the teaching of the hindrance, he suggested, first of all, 
Notice when the hindrance is there. That simple. Oh, ill will is here. And I would encourage something along the lines of not it being like, uh, I'm angry, but ill will is happening. So that you kind of, shifting the language to something um, that takes the sense of self out of the language can really help in terms of meeting it. So ill will is happening right now. Or you, you might touch into the, the language that I've used. This is the human experience of ill will. When a, this, is, this is the experience this human being is having with ill will. It's not going to be identical to somebody else's experience, but it is a manifestation of being a human being and having this arise. You know, often ill will feels like pressure and heat rising in the body. There can be some similarities for us. So just, first of all, notice when it's present with a a simple acknowledgement. Sloth and torpor is happening. Anxiety is happening as best you can. Now, there will be times when you notice a hindrance, depending on how strong it is. If it's kind of had a chance to kind of rev up, (laughs) it might be, um, you know, full-on rage. And so, you know, as best you can, just acknowledging that, okay, yep, wow, yep, this is what it's like. This is a human experience. And then what I would encourage, what I did that very first time I noticed um, my reactivity when I was doing this practice, when I first started this practice, it was, it had like spun into rage. And kind of like that was the first time I really noticed it. I had decided, and what I'm going to encourage you to do is to Reflect on, think about what of these hindrances are your favorite. Which ones are the ones that most happen for you. And then see if you can also set the intention to notice when they happen. You know, so notice when ill will happens. Notice when anxiety happens. Just, just, just see if you can set that intention to notice that. And when you notice it, depending on how long it's been that the mind has been caught by it, if, it, if you catch it pretty quickly, it may not be very strong. If it's been a few minutes, it may be, on the, it may be screaming off the meter, which it was for me when I first noticed. It's like, wow, this is, this is full-blown rage. Wow, this hurts. That's about all that I could notice. It was, like, it was that inarticulate. It's like, ah, hurts, ah. And yet that was useful because it's like at that point, my system fully recognized, wow, this anger hurts here. I hadn't even noticed that before I became mindful of it. I was so caught in the story of what it was going to do to the person I was angry with that I had not noticed how painful it was to feel that anger, that ill will. So notice it. And then, you know, in that case, what I, I mean, I had very little instruction, actually, because I was just starting this, and I was in the Peace Corps in the middle of the South Pacific. I had very little in the way of resources, and, and about all I knew to do was say, wow, I don't know what I do with this, but I guess I go on with my day. 
That's what I'm going to encourage you to do because that ended up being incredibly useful. As soon as you wake up into something, it's like, especially if it's very strong. I mean, what, what, what was kind of amazing about that moment in some ways was that moments before I had been so caught in the rage that I hadn't been functional. I'd been sitting kind of frozen at my desk, lost in the world of revenge. I became aware, noticed the pain of it, and I was like, wow, that hurts. What do I do with this? I have no idea, but I guess I'll just get on with my day. What was actually, in retrospect, what was amazing about that moment was that I could get on with my day. The mindfulness had created enough of a break, enough of a little space that let me just turn my attention back to what I was doing. So this is, this is again, with daily life practice, not trying necessarily to you know, do a lot of investigation, just like, Notice, when you notice the presence of it, notice what's obvious. And if there's, if there's a little momentum of mindfulness, you can notice what's going on around it. But you may not, you may not have the luxury, actually, of, of that kind of investigation in that moment. Like if you're in the midst of a conversation with a, a coworker and you find rage arising, it's like not going to be like you're going to say, hey, wait a minute, I need to like be mindful, turn in, you just have to wait a minute while I do this. We don't have that luxury. But we may be able to, wow, know that rage and recognize, "Mm, maybe I should not say that thing that was just going to come screaming out of my mouth. Maybe I can hold my tongue for a moment. That would be great. (laughs) So, So noticing it's present, just noticing it's present in a simple way, not, especially in the midst of daily life, not having to try to dig or dive underneath it, just like this is the experience and get on with your day. The second thing, especially for these hindrances that are so familiar, the ones that come up a lot for us, so I will encourage you to pick, pick one that is very familiar for you. And for me, I give a lot of examples about anger because I would say ill will was probably my top hindrance, my very favorite hindrance. My mind had com- very been conditioned into that direction. And so um, picking that, um, the next instruction in the Buddha's um, teaching is notice when it's not there. And that was actually really useful because so much of the time with certain uh, patterns when they're very habitual, it's like we almost feel like it's always there at some level. We feel like it's, it's you know, even if, you, even if I'm not feeling it at this moment, it's buried somewhere and it's just waiting to pop up. And to some extent there it is, I would say, it, we have a tendency for those familiar um, hindrances to pop up. But, but there are times when it's not happening. And we can recognize that. Oh, right now, ill will is not here. This ends up being incredibly useful, partly because of the way we tend to, for those, for those familiar um, hindrances, the ones that happen for us a lot, we tend to take them as me or this is who I am. 
and recognizing that it's not here in this moment begins to like poke little holes in the belief that it's me. Because if it were me, it would be here. But it's not here. It's kind of like, yeah, actually, it's not here right now. So just noticing that. And sometimes, I mean, this does, it does happen that when you notice that it's not there, that sometimes it can pop up. And in that case, just notice that. Oh, it's here now. But it's, it's actually more possible than you might think to recognize, oh, it's not here right now. And what's that like? What's it like for that not to be here? Well, those are the first two. And the third one is a little more... Um, it, 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 it is more likely to happen later in the week because it takes being, um, being present when the hindrance arises so that you begin to notice the conditions, the triggers, the things that make it happen, both externally and internally. There will be both. Things will happen externally that will tend to, it's like, you know, certain things happen externally that we have a habitual response to internally. And so there'll be external conditions that come into play that we tend to respond or react to. And then there's also things going on internally. So for instance, you might begin to recognize um, around like anxiety, for instance that um, when you're hungry or when you haven't had a lot of sleep, there's more anxiety. So you might begin to recognize some of the, some of the conditions that come into play around anxiety. And, you know, for myself, I used to have a very strong reactive pattern around hunger and um, began just looking at the condition of that. And at this point, it's like, you know, my blood sugar drops and the mind kind of gets into this state that it's not very easy to make decisions. But I used to go ballistic when that happened. And I would start yelling at whoever was in the car, you know, it's like, you find me someplace to eat or, you know. And at this point, it's more like, I'm really hungry right now. Will you take me to a restaurant and order something for me? (laughs) Because I'm not going to be able to pick something off the menu. My mind is not going to function that way. So, you know, I, that, so the, the practice with mindfulness has given me the capacity to recognize the conditions for the arising of that kind of ballistic state, and a completely different relationship happens. So this is the value of, of the mindfulness. And in seeing the, seeing the arising of a pattern, that's, that's where we can begin to see, too, um, there's a whole bunch of things that come to, into play as something is coming into being, as a reaction is coming into being. There's not only the external triggers, but there's often a piece that's really interesting to explore, is there's often beliefs happening around what's going on. And those are internal. Those, are, those beliefs are internal. And often when they're not seen, when we don't recognize, oh, this is a belief that's happening, we are simply taking it to be truth. And so even just acknowledging, you know, okay, oh, it's arising right now. What is being believed? And then acknowledging that, okay, this is being believed right now. 
You don't have to tell yourself to not believe it. But it's useful to acknowledge this belief is happening. And you might begin to recognize that sometimes the buying into that belief is either stronger or weaker at different times. You know, when, when we, we really believe that, like, yeah, that, that person should not be doing that thing. And we really believe that, like we really are buying into it, then our reactions tend to, tends to be stronger. If the belief is weaker then our reactions tend to be weaker. And now, again, it's not necessarily that our beliefs, that we're, we're not trying to convince ourselves that our beliefs are false, because sometimes our beliefs are true. But what we're exploring is the possibility of the connection between those beliefs and our reactivity. We may be able to recognize, yes, I believe that, and there's another way to meet that belief. There's another way to respond to that belief rather than this habitual reactivity. So that can start to be seen as we, um, as we begin to be able to investigate our, uh, our hindrances a little more over time. But again, that kind of, that kind of seeing, I'm going to talk for a minute about investigation because the word investigation often... Um, brings up the idea of digging or figuring out or analyzing. And what I mean by investigation is more hovering with, exploring what's available to be seen here and now, what's obvious. Hanging with it is an investigation. It's, it's kind of like, it's, it's like um, we can learn something about I can learn something about this bowl by just being in contact with it with a soft cloth like this. I can feel the ripples of the metal. I can feel the hard edges. I can feel the hardness of it. And so this rubbing, it's, it's just a being with. There's a certain kind of, of learning that I can make that, that can happen with this kind of exploration. It's different than the kind of exploration that might happen if I decided to take a hammer to this thing to figure out how is it made. But it's also more respectful than taking a hammer to it. And so this is the kind of investigation we're exploring. And, and it's mindfulness, basically. It's, it's being in touch with. What is mindfulness able to connect with as we notice this hindrance. And not trying to figure it out or push into it, but being, it's, it's actually more of a feeling of settling back and letting the experience come to you. It's like, what wants to show up? What of this hindrance wants to show itself? And that's being very respectful in a way because sometimes there are layers to our hindrances, deeper layers of kind of holding or... Um, deeper kind of conditioning that it's possible that the hindrance is actually almost like a protection from something explosive underneath. Like that resistance to something might be a kind of a, a, a strategy that your mind has used to kind of prevent an explosion. And so 
rather than trying to dive underneath or pull apart the resistance, say, I'm going to see what I'm resistant to, kind of dive underneath, you might get an explosion that way. Instead, just like, oh, this is resistance. What does the resistance feel like? That's more respectful of your system to meet just what's kind of at the surface, wanting to show itself, wanting to be known. And so it's, it's really a very patient and honoring practice. It's like we're honoring our hindrances by meeting them, but we are not buying into them. And so it's honoring in a way, it's, it's honoring or respecting them in a way to meet them with awareness, but it is not buying into their story, their view, their belief. So that's what I mean by investigation. It's, it's really a very gentle kind of thing. And in daily life, that kind of investigation will only happen in small spurts, in my experience. Um, at, at least at first. I mean, over time, as the mindfulness kind of begins to, to strengthen in daily life, we do have the opportunity to kind of hover with something for longer stretches of time. Um, even as we're doing something. As I was driving here today, I recognized that there was a kind of a, uh, a wavering um, experience around uh, a, an uncomfortable physical sensation. And, and I could hold that wavering and drive. So, you know, it was, it, it was possible to kind of hover and investigate it, even as I was driving. And yet, this is after 20 years of practice. So, you know, it's, I also talked to somebody who was exploring being mindful while driving when they first started. And it's like, they were, they were really into, it's like, oh, feeling the car speed up, feeling the car slow down, and nearly got into an accident because they were paying attention, you know, kind of directing the attention to their experience rather than to what was going on around them. Like, when we are driving, we need to be aware of driving. And so there was this capacity that the, the mind can develop this capacity to, to be aware externally and internally at the same time. But it's a slow thing. And in daily life, in life... Um, life-threatening situations, like driving 60 miles an hour down the freeway, it can be a life-threatening situation. I encourage being aware of the driving and not so much the internal until there's more of a, uh, a capacity that develops there. Let's see. Um, so simple, keeping it simple in the investigation. Just this is what's obvious and getting on with your day. And over time, what seems to happen, especially as you are kind of orienting to or curious about, I'd really encourage curiosity if you can. Um, allow yourself not to be, have the agenda with these hindrances of, I'm paying attention to this in order for it to go away. But instead, I'm paying attention to this in order to understand it. Can there be a curiosity about what is this anyway? How is it, how is it here? Why does the mind think this is useful anyway? Why, why does the system think this is a useful approach? It does for some reason. It's engaging in it. So our, our system, when we're buying into those, those reactivities, somehow believes it's useful. 
And yet, as we turn to it with mindfulness, we begin to get a different picture, a different perspective. There was something else. Oh, okay. As you, as you pick one particular hindrance or two, um, and you start to get familiar with it over the week, you know, just I would encourage, so you setting, you're setting your intention to be present for these tasks and this chore that we talked about earlier, and one or two hindrances. If you feel inspired, <laughs> try to. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily try more than that. Um, but each time you notice a particular flavor arising, it's like you get a different perspective. You get a little snapshot of the mind in that situation. And the next time it comes up, you get a different snapshot. And so it's like you get these little, like, little bits of information. It's like just gathering, gathering little bits of information. And over time the mind begins to understand something more deeply. We don't even have to try to put those pieces of information together. Our mind will kind of naturally do that. It naturally begins to organize information. But that's the way our minds are. So as we see uh, little bits of information around a particular hindrance, we may start learning things about it. This hindrance, like this hindrance comes up really strongly when I'm hungry, or more deeply, you know, this, this hindrance is connected to a belief. So patience with uh, investigation. It's uh, not like we're going to investigate once and learn everything there is to be seen. But if we can just be curious about what's available to be seen, and then get on with our day. And then we, we get another chance. We have almost endless opportunity to see our habitual patterns coming. So you'll get another opportunity to be curious about that pattern. So questions, comments about this piece. Bruni, over here. Well, my whole motivation for practice is so I can overcome the hindrances so that um, my ill will, desire, sloth and torpor, I won't be grabbed by these. So I'm watching... I can feel it arise, I can see it sustain, I can see it go away. But at some point, if I can't make the decision, I'm not going to go into that mind state. And I don't develop the skill for it, I'm not really practicing. So, is there a question? Because. I mean, what I heard at the beginning was my motivation is to want them to go away. And I just said the motivation isn't to make them go away. That's, that's what I thought you were going to point to. Yeah. 
Okay, I can talk to that. <laughs> so, I would say early in our practice, wanting the hindrances to go away is a motivation. And partly because of the gross nature of the hindrances and the power of mindfulness, that desire bears fruit. We apply mindfulness to observing very strong reactivity. The wanting that reactivity to go away is kind of like um, a subtler hindrance at work. And, um, and yet when the, when the hindrances are screaming at us, the subtler hindrance of wanting it to go away and acting on that, They, it, it's, it's like because it's a subtler hindrance, it's, it's a subtler hindrance it, it actually can be useful. It's almost like we have stair steps for letting go of the hindrances. And so when the hindrances are really obvious, if we have a, a little bit of wanting that hindrance to go away in the paying attention to it, it may well support us to consciously bring our attention in that direction. And so... It does work. And yet at some point in practice, and I bring this in early because it's possible to explore it from the perspective of curiosity rather than from wanting it to go away. Basically, the way the practice ultimately works is if we are curious about our um, hindrances, investigate them, explore them, just like, huh, what's this one about? How does this one feel? Without any agenda whatsoever, if we are just curious about it, transformation will happen as a side effect because wisdom grows as we investigate. Because understanding that this is suffering, I mean, basically, you know, we, as we turn to the hindrances with mindfulness, we feel the suffering of it where we haven't felt that suffering before. I mean, as I described, like, with my anger, it's like I was so caught in the story of this is going to do something to that person, I didn't feel the suffering of it. And when we turn to it and begin to actually notice, oh, this hurts, our system begins to reorient. I don't actually have to tell myself, this hurts, you should stop doing that. My system understands... God, the system is kind of like working underneath to try to, to, to understand how might this be released. And so our, our, our work is actually the understanding. And the understanding will release the hindrances. The understanding will, make, will allow that transformation to happen. And, you know, it's, and, and yet, as I said, you know, that there, there, were, there were definitely times in my practice when I was motivated by a sense of self, like, I'm a good meditator, I'm going to practice really hard, and, and it, it, it bore fruit. It helped. I mean, I was a, you know, I'm a, my mind does a lot of investigation, and I was really attached to that. I knew that I was an investigator, and I was good at investigation. And that, boy, did it serve me for a very long time. I could do investigation. I could bring my attention to something and rub on it and get curious about it. And, and yet there was a desire there. And at some point in my practice, there was suffering connected to that desire. 
at some point, at some point the suffering will be our guide for what's the next layer to look at. If right now you're exploring the hindrances and know that you want them to go away and are practicing with that aim and it's bearing fruit and you're not experiencing the suffering of the wanting them to go away, don't worry about it. At some point, that wanting it to go away, the subtle aversion underneath to that hindrance, because at some point those grosser hindrances begin to fall away, then the subtler forms of hindrances begin to become what we feel as suffering. And at that point, you won't have much choice. <laughs> You'll have to start looking at the suffering of that. <laughs> and boy, that happened in spades for me around investigation. It's like, it took a couple of years for my mind to reorient. It's like every time I tried to do investigation, it was so much suffering. It's like, how do I practice if I can't do investigation? And yet there is a way. My mind found the way towards that. And now it's, I just kind of say, okay, mind is investigating. I'm seeing it investigate. <laughs> so it's not, it's not something I'm doing. But it took a couple of years before the mind found its way to that release around that habit. So, but it was suffering. It was very clear to me that it was suffering. So I hope that's supportive for, for your question. Let's see, where are we? We still have time for another, another question, if there's another question. Yeah, up here. Um, that, what you just said, was so amazing. And I appreciate you saying that it took you even a couple years that gives me hope when I'm practicing with these <laughs> things. Um, patience. patience. Patience is a great skill. That's <laughs> really interesting, like, think, thinking of, of letting the suffering guide you to what, what you need to focus on for right then, because if there is that more subtle hindrance underneath, it, it, needs to, it will be released when, or when known it, when, when it's time. time. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm saying, too, about not digging. You not know, it's digging. Like, it's the respect. Yeah. And it's like, okay, this is what's obvious here. Yeah, wanting it to go away. Okay, yeah, wanting it to go away. That's happening. It, it reminds me when uh, somebody who told me when I was pregnant um, said, uh, um, okay, that moment when you are screaming, I want the epidural, I want the epidural, that's the moment your, your whole body has, is about to reorganize itself to do the next push of, endorphins, whatever, the, the, that is your signal. And to, and to see that as see a hallelujah can, moment, and uh-huh. that everything's about to reorganize to get you through to the next, that next. Oh, that's an interesting analogy. It, yeah. And it, it saved me because that moment I, I heard myself go, I can't take it. I want the epidural. I went, oh, that's. It's that moment. It's the moment. <laughs> yeah. And it did. And body, my body kicked into another um, uh, pain relief level. But I had to trust. That's yeah. my point. Trust. Is I had to and trust. trust is a huge piece of this practice. That and so thank you for saying your two years. That are your couple years because that helps build my confidence and trust when I'm in the I'm in the pit, and I can't. I don't. I need and, to trust. And, and at that point, we just trust. Yeah, it's a mess. It feels like this. It hurts. You know. And so just being with what's there, 
that's the practice at that point. That's the practice. Yeah. Um, okay, so selfishly, though, in those moments where I'm practicing this week, and my go-to hindrance is, is anxiety. And so when I feel it, I, I'm aware of it coming, and I can feel, oh, anxiety is rising, but the person who's the triggering the anxiety needs an answer right now, right now. What can I do? So, so again, you know, we, we, with daily life, we do have to basically do the best we can. You know, you, your, your situation is like, I need, somebody's saying, I need the answer. That's a kind of a condition that is, at this point, one of the triggers for the anxiety, although it's, it's, not, a necess, it's not a sufficient trigger. Um, because something inside is also needed to trigger that anxiety. But, but at this point, the best you can do probably is just know, wow, there's a lot of anxiety. Okay, I know that, and, and do the best you can with navigating that, that time. And if you end, I mean, something I often say too is, if it results in some kind of um, struggle or suffering or something you've said, you know, uh, just get really good at cleaning up the mess. <laughs> get good at apologizing. You know, it's like that's a part of our practice too. And I'll also say sometimes as we turn towards a, a very strong hindrance, it's possible at times that trying to turn towards it or just be with it can create the conditions for us to spiral into it. And if that happens, just like just touch into it and then put your attention on something else. It's like... <laughs> Just, just notice. I mean, I did that with, with anger for a chunk of time also that I noticed that as I tried to be mindful of it, I would just end up in the, the spiral of the angry thoughts. And so as soon as I noticed anger arising, and this was, was useful, I, I began to be able to notice the anger arising. It'd be like, oh, anger, I see you. Okay, yep, you can hang out in the room with me, but I'm putting my attention over here. I'm going to put my attention on my feet so that I just redirected my attention. Um, and didn't let the attention be like magnetized to that. So that's another tool that's useful if you see when you notice, oh, you know, ill will is present. If it's not just, oh, ill will is happening, but you end up into the, the quicksand of it, then learning some strategies for redirecting. Um, I see you and not now. If you can do that, especially... Um, helpful to not repress it there, but, but just more like, yeah, uh, you're here and I'm going to just look over here so that it's, it's a, a kind of a redirection rather than a repression. So. Um, and something I've, I've found that's really helped me is when I, let's say I'm not able to redirect in the moment and I say the conditioned response to the, in the, in the irritation, I say to myself, and I learned this from Hillary in her compassion class, is to say, uns ouch, unskillful speech, and this is part of the human condition or an experience, and to get so that I can allow myself to get back on that horse to yes. try again and not fail out of the whole experience yes. and just go back to hate, being upset with myself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in some ways, you know, when we do that, when we make that, make a mistake like that, it hurts to have created that suffering. And, and some, you know, one of the, the things I've used is like, oh, it's like this to have created suffering. Oh, it's like this. And, and so that acknowledges that it hurts to have done that. And it's not, it's actually a good thing that it hurts to have done that. 
<laughs> because that's how we, our, our system recognizes, oh, that's not a good thing to do. But when we're caught in our stories and our views, we don't feel that as clearly. Or we try to convince ourselves or talk ourselves out of feeling it, like, oh, they deserved it anyway, or I was really justified in doing that. But, so we're trying to, to oppress, repress that feeling, but, but it's, it's there for a reason. Yeah. It's helpful, helpful to be able to tolerate the feeling yes. for that moment so you can learn from it and let yourself be in it without exploding yourself. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. So, so the learning to be comfortable with discomfort is a huge part of our practice, especially in daily life. And we will end there. Um, let me just say a moment of offering the benefits. May the beneficial results of our practice today be offered to support not only our own hearts, our own minds, but to support the well-being of all beings everywhere. May the benefits of our practice be of service to all. May all beings be well, happy, and peaceful. May all beings know peace. Thank you for your participation today. And um, how many of you are going to participate in the retreat? I'm just curious. Wow, great. <laughs> Be a good group. Um, and I have these handouts, so um, I'll set them up. There'll be three of three piles.